Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World today. And we have a very special guest, Rick Keller. Welcome to Arash's World. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Wonderful. So the first question is always the toughest. And uh, how would you describe yourself briefly to our audience here? Well, to your listeners, I would probably describe myself as like a George Clooney lookalike, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but to people who are viewing uh, who actually see me, I would describe myself, I guess, in two ways. If you were going to look at it, occupationally speaking, I would say that I am a attorney, author, and former United States congressman. In terms of qualities, I guess more important, I like to see myself as someone who lifts people up and, and brings them together and encourages people not to take themselves too seriously. Wonderful. Yeah, that's that's great. You're also a bear chaser. Is that correct? You that, is, bears? that is correct. <laughs> yes. Which brings us to, to your book, uh, Chase the Bears, Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. And um, let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. So where the name came from, I'm reading the paper, having a cup of coffee with my wife at the kitchen table, and outside our window, this family of bears comes flying by and never happened before. We're a mile or two from the woods, and it was a mama bear and three cubs. And without saying anything or thinking, Lori, my wife and I just got up, ran outside and chased the bears. We just wanted to continue this amazing experience and especially see these little cubs run. And we never caught them. Uh, a Florida black bear can run up to 35 miles an hour. But afterwards, I said to Lori, I said, you know, if that mama bear had decided to charge us, he felt threatened. Um, the fastest Olympic sprinter only runs 28 miles an hour. It could, could have got us. And I said, Lori, that's just, it's nuts that we did that without thinking. And then I said, but you know, at, at the same time, it's sort of a metaphor in life because most people in that situation would probably be content to stay inside play it safe, look out their window as life passes them by and eventually the clock runs out. And some people go for it. They chase their dreams. They chase the bears. And I was midway through writing my book and, and Lori said, Rick, that's that's the name of your book, Chase the Bears. Wonderful, so that, wonderful anecdote. Yeah. So, yeah. so would you say we should trust our intuition there? Because obviously this was not a rational choice and you didn't think, should we chase the bear or should we not? It's just like, go for it, jump right in, right? I think we should absolutely trust our intuition. That's uh, that's chapter three in my book. I think it's so important. I, I, th I trust my intuition, uh, no matter how unconventional or unpopular it is. Oprah trusts her intuition. All mm -hmm. successful people trust their intuition. And I, I highly believe we should trust it. I think it's absolutely important. And in the book, I give an example of someone who really trusted their intuition and hit it out of the park, and that's Dolly Parton. Oh, cool. And and of course, uh, everybody knows Dolly, and she had 25 number one country hits, and one of them was called I Will Always Love You. And you probably know that as a song that Whitney Houston sang and made famous. But what happened is Dolly recorded it, wrote it, hit number one on the country charts, and then Elvis came to her and he said, I love this so much, I, I'd like to record it. Well, Elvis was her hero. He was the number one star in the world. She was so excited. So the night before the recording, his um, manager, Colonel Tom Parker, says, oh, by the way, you need to sign over half your royalties and songwriting credit to Elvis. Hmm. And she's like, what? And um, her friends all said, do it. And she's like, why would I do that? The song's already been on the air. I mean, I, I wrote it. And he said, well, that's how it is. And Dolly's intuition said, no, I, I'm not going to do it. And I'm, I said no to the king. And 18 years later, her phone rang and it was Kevin Costner. And he said, uh, 
we'd like Whitney Houston recorded. We're giving her her first acting gig with this new movie I'm doing called The Bodyguard. And you get to keep 100% of the credit, 100% of royalties. And this time her intuition said yes. And that little decision made her a very wealthy woman, uh, incredibly wealthy, worth over $600 million now in, in, in total. Because when Dolly recorded, according to Dolly, she put money in the bank. But when Whitney recorded it, she she bought the bank. And so um, that's a good example of trusting your intuition. And I've had to deal with it in my own life and, and make a decision in my senior year. I was a pre-med student. I wanted my, my parents to be proud of me. And I was lucky enough to graduate first in my class. But I had went to work at a hospital and I hated everything about it. The, the sight of blood and, and x-rays of broken bones. I'm like, this is really not for me but but my gifts are more in line with public speaking and humor and communicating and i thought i would be much better being a lawyer politician and uh it was a hard decision and i just decided you know what i'm just gonna follow my heart and, and do it and after making that tough decision all all the doors opened up after that and it was able to come true but it, it started with trusting your intuition yeah, absolutely. Like really like following your dreams and what feels right to you. And so that must have been a tough decision too, because you often think also, what would my parents want? What would they prefer? But then at that point, it's really about you because this is your life. And you say, I just can't go through it. I'm not going to fake my way through it. I'm just going to choose what's right. And the second point I'd like to make here too, with Dolly Parton, that as you were saying, it's not always apparent. It's not immediately apparent. Sometimes it takes weeks, months, years, but it is in the end the right decision, even though it seems rationally probably the worst decision you can make at that moment. But if it feels right and if you have that gut feeling, I think we should follow it. Absolutely true. And, and it was a hard decision because essentially it came down to logic versus intuition yeah. and logic my parents, my then girlfriend, she was going off to med school. Everybody in the world thought I should do this. And it was a safe choice. You could make a lot of money and help people. And the other the other choice was glittery. And a lot of people don't trust used car salesmen and politicians and lawyers. And they're like, why would you do that? Um, and so I was all alone. And, and my um, <laughs> for graduation, my college girlfriend gave me a stethoscope and it was a beautiful cost a couple hundred dollars silver stethoscope she'd engraved my name in it oh my and so i used that That's stethoscope. extra pressure right yeah yeah <laughs> so i instead of listening to other people's body parts i listened to my own heart and i decided that i was going to follow my heart and do what i want so that meant i had to get back the stethoscope and this poor girl her name is rachel so she not only has to get a new boyfriend but since it's engraved, has to find another guy named Rick Keller. You know, that's that's hard to do, you know, in East Tennessee, you know. <laughs> but yeah, and, and intuition was was everything for me. And I and I think it's so, so important. So, so important. Yeah, I mean, mine, mine is a minor stake in comparison, but um, I, I had this feeling, this, this intuition to go to Mexico and to teach English for a year after I graduated. And so it seemed like uh, financially the worst decision because I was I had student loans I had to pay back. The pay there would have been below minimum wage here. Uh, and so, uh, but I still did it and I met my wife there. So it's wow. like one of those things where you say, it just, I don't know why, but it feels yeah. right. And let's just give it a try and let's let's go for it. And I think it does, uh, it, it, it is rewarding once we do that. 
but sometimes it comes with sacrifices as you were saying too. Yeah. And you know, my wife had a very similar story and I write about her as, as one of the lead stories about intuition and that she grew up in rural circumstances, graduated from university of uh, central Florida, her family, nobody in her family had a passport, but she landed this great job for Procter and Gamble and they offered her promotion after four years. And she said, no, I feel like I'm supposed to get an international experience and nobody in her family had ever been outside the country. So she quit her job and moved to Amsterdam without even having a job there. She felt like she was was supposed to be there and she worked there a few years and and learned dutch and took in the culture and decided you know i'm i'm ready for a new uh chapter in my life and she applied to harvard business school and they were so impressed that she trusted her gut and and got an international experience and they accepted her oh that's so awesome she, she graduated so she calls herself an ivy league redneck now so she graduated <laughs> from harvard and and um opened up a lot of doors and became an executive of a fortune 500 company and everything but at the moment she made that decision she was all alone like her, her gut was telling yeah. her one thing probably you had something similar but yeah. everybody else telling something else yeah yeah, and and just to listen to that voice to pursue your dreams. So, what what in terms of conventional self help ideas, what would you say? Uh, what would be some of the conventional ones that you talk about in your book? Well, I I tell you why I wrote this book, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's the ultimate conventional self help book. Is when I was fourteen, I met my dad for the first time, and he handed me this self help book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I read it um, six times before I graduated high school. And I, and I was finally ready to call him dad and to take this book's um, secret formula and put it to a test. And so I set a goal of graduating first in my class in college, even though I was just a mediocre student. And that happened. And then I set a goal to get elected to Congress. And that happened. And many years later, now I'm the older guy and I have a 14-year-old daughter and I handed the same book to her. And I really wanted her to be excited about it. And she said, Dad, I, I know you love this book, but I can't get into it. It's a bunch of these old white guys you know, from the 1800s who want to get rich and I don't want to get rich and I don't care about that. I have other stuff and there's no girl power. And I thought, what if I can write a book that has the same conventional principles of how to set smart goals and visualizations and affirmations. But I had girl power stories and modern day stories of people that they would know and put some humor in there. And, and throwing so, some bears for good measure. Throwing some bears. <laughs> and I gave her a couple sample chapters and she's like, I, I love it, dad. I love it. Cool. And, um, and connected with her. And then I eventually went on and got a book deal. But the key fundamental principles of Think and Grow Rich that I talk about, the three steps, since you're talking about conventional stuff, is number one, set a specific goal with a specific time period. And I believe that goal should be within the area of your gifts, which is really important Two, take that goal, write it down on a little three by five card, read it every morning and every night to get it deep into your subconscious. And then three, visualize yourself already there, what, what it's like to already be there. And those are the principles that I used and um, Jim Carrey too. And then and, uh, we write about him in the book, but the, it's almost like a magic formula and um, very few people do it. And in some ways it sounds crazy uh, telling yourself something over and over and over again, um, but it works. And all of a sudden you start meeting people who can help you and events happen that, that help you and you can't believe it. It starts coming together. It's really amazing. I can talk about personal experience that I've done it. And it, it just, I, I would tell people, just give it a shot. You have nothing to lose. This is yeah. not something invasive. It won't hurt you. There's no risk involved. Try it out. 
and it does it does work, which is stunning. And it's uh, logically, again, the reason, the logical part says, I don't know how, but it does. But I'm also glad you mentioned the subconscious because science proves it now and we know it exists and it's hugely influential in uh, our decision-making. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give one example of, of me using it. When I was running for Congress, I was a really big underdog. I was losing by 27 points in the polls, out fundraised 400,000 to 100,000. The leader of my party asked me to quit. And so I pulled out this this book and these principles and I wrote a goal. And since the, the front runner had 400,000, I wrote a goal. I will have 400,000 by X date. And I wrote it on the back of a three by five card. I started reading it every morning, every night. I didn't write how I was going to do it because I had no clue. Um, the universe is going to have to figure that out. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I just know I need this money by that date. And not too long after, a few weeks after, I was invited to give a five-minute speech in Washington, D.C., and it was like American Idol for politicians. And essentially, they looked across the country, and they picked 16 finalists to come to D.C., and each had five minutes to talk. And it was a group of CEOs who decided to put some big money into a handful of races. And I was the last one picked, and I go to D.C., and I'm the last one to speak, and everybody in front of me does spectacular you'd know who they are famous names mike pence was one of my competitors for example and i was the last one to talk and i just went up there and i was myself because everybody was um good but a little bit boring and they were talking about serious stuff and that's not my style and i just said guys i'm going to tell you how i feel right now i feel like elizabeth taylor's seventh husband on his honeymoon night <laughs> technically i know what i'm supposed to do but at this point i don't know how to make it interesting for you yeah. and that room erupted and that little moment changed my life. They ranked me number one in the country. They sent me $400,000, the exact amount of my goal. And a few months later, I won a seat in the United States Congress. Mm -hmm. And every night I had visualized myself up on stage when I was reading that goal. What would it be like with the cameras flashing and the, and, the, and the TV cameras running and people waving signs? And I saw that every night and I would visualize it. And when I got up on stage that night to give the victory speech, it was so freaky because it was identical to what I imagined, like it had already happened. Yeah. And so that's an example of, of yeah. using the, these principles. We I guess. create our own reality. And it's like when we have that negative outlook, that's kind of that will that's what will happen. You know, so I think and I had one example, too, with, with money. I had a couple hundred dollars when I came back from Mexico, back to Canada here with my wife. And uh, so just trying to, again, I paid off my student loan by then. So that was good. I was awesome. free. But then I saw this like cash till and there was like certain amount of on the cash till it was like 9,000 or something. And 999, I think and it was like all nines. And I was like, oh, I wish I had that much money. And then just sometime later, I had that amount and it was it was shocking but i said i should have asked for more <laughs> you know? wow, but then you go awesome. like you know it's if it's working why not dream big and and, and follow that yeah. and i think it's it's really to to an extent also trusting yourself and trusting the universe kind of that kind of balance between between the two absolutely so when you were picking your occupation that what you wanted to do with your life did you pick something that comes easy for you something that you were you were gifted at uh, in, in terms of your decision or did you kind of go against the stream? How'd you, how'd you do that? It was just not really picking things, just going with the flow. And, uh, and I think, uh, what, what's new to me, what I really enjoy is podcasting. And that just came out of nowhere. And this is like, 
And I think to be ready to make that switch too, it's like, you know, this is what I want to do. And if there's yeah. ways of, you know, doing that uh, for life or for a living, that is amazing. And I think uh, being ready to adjust, if you find a better path, like this feels better and take that. But I've yeah. been in education for for 20 years okay. and uh, I do enjoy that. But then the skills you can also transfer to other parts, which I find uh, quite interesting too. It's like, there's no time lost. Even if you choose something that doesn't resonate with you, you can still like build skills that you can use in, in other forms. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I asked you that is I, I think one of the most important things that I try to convey in my book is to use your gifts and mm -hmm. your gifts being the things that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort, the things that come very easy to you, but are hard for other people, the things yeah, that you, yeah. that you love, you know, yeah. that makes time fly by and, and you start doing this thing and you feel like a six, but after an hour, you feel like a 10, like that thing, whatever that thing is, you, you need to be doing that. But thing. sometimes and, there's more than one thing because I, yeah. I, I feel like I like all of these things and they feel easy to me and I see others yeah. who are struggling. But then yeah. again, like if I went into like medicine, I'd feel the same way. It's like, no, this is not for me. I like to yeah. help people, but not right. in this manner. Yeah. Right, right. Like if you asked me, said, oh, we need a commencement speaker. Ours has laryngitis. And you gave me five minutes to go speak to 10,000 people. Very, very easy for me. Yes, if if you is. told me the computer needs to be programmed and we need to download an app, like <laughs> you might as well shoot me in the head. I, I can't do it. That's I when no, I asked my son for I, help. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't change the spark plug. I have yeah. no mechanical skills, but but I don't try to do that stuff that I'm not <laughs> good at. It just drains my battery and, and do what comes easy to you and stay in your lane. Like, <laughs> you know, Albert Albert Einstein was was a Nobel Prize winning physicist. But if he had decided to become a professional bull rider, he would have landed square on his butt in, in eight seconds. But he he stayed in your lane. And so sometimes when I hear speakers tell people and they're inspirational, go, you can be whatever you want to be. Well, that's that's BS. You, you can be what you want to be if you stay in your lane and use your mm -hmm. gifts. There's nothing I can do to dunk a basketball or win the hundred meter dash in the Olympics. But but I stay in my lane and and I hope people do that. And the and the great exciting thing about that is I'm asking you to do what comes easy. Mm -hmm. to do the thing that comes easy to you. That's what you're going to be best at. And that's again, intuition that, that plays a huge role. And I think yeah. one thing I want to point out too is finding happiness because uh, we often we're looking for money and we're looking at the salary and we're not looking at the other aspect, which is so much more important in my view of yeah. uh, does it make me happy? Does it give me fulfillment? Even if it's less pay than yes. what I, uh, what I would be striving for. Absolutely. And I, I have found in my own life in, in happiness, the three big components for me, I don't hold myself out as a happiness expert, but I know for me, it's doing what I love, which is should be easy. It's being with someone that I love. And people say, well, marriage is hard. It, it shouldn't be that hard. It, it, if you're <laughs> with the right person, it should be downstream. There, there may be some ripples, but again, it should be easy. And then third, doing, making time for the thing that gives you joy, you know, like, for example, I, I found a part in my life where everything was, God, I've gone through a failed marriage and I'm working 80 hours a week at the law firm and I'm, I'm just burnt out by life, man. And I said, you know what? No more. What, what I love is going to comedy clubs and I love riding my motorcycle and I love college football. So I bought season passes and my happiness went up probably 50 or 60 percent. You know, I didn't make quite as much money that next year, but I was spending time consciously doing 
what I loved. And it was such a big difference. I, you probably had a, <laughs> a similar thing in terms of making making time for what's important to you there. Yeah, I, I actually just recently took a class of our stand-up comedy and I didn't realize how much I actually enjoyed it. And like just going up on stage and just talking for five, 10 minutes a set, uh, it, was, it was very, I mean, even when people don't laugh, we just like, the, the fact is like, they were smiling. So it's like, okay, yeah. that feels good. That's a good start, you know? Yeah. And work your way through it. So I think that's huge important. I want to talk about humor. Um, sure. It plays a, a huge role for you in your life. Um, Absolutely. When did you find out that it, uh, it, it, was it from the beginning as a kid or is it something that kind of evolved? What would you say? You know, I, I knew that I had a good sense of humor. I wasn't the class clown who was always trying to get attention, but it always came easy for me when, when I knew that it was going to be game changing for me in life is um, shortly after I graduated from Vanderbilt Law School, I met this guy, Jeb Bush, who was thinking about running for governor of Florida. And he was a young guy and he never held elective office at the time, but his dad was famous, the president, and everybody thought, oh, you're running on your dad's coattails. And he was being criticized. And so I met him and I saw he gave a speech. It was good, but it was kind of flat and didn't address the elephant in the room. So I wrote a line on the back of a business card. And I said, uh, Jeb, why don't, why don't you try this line next time you give a speech? And I became his joke writer. And that became the line he opened every single speech with when he ran for governor of Florida. And the line was, one of my opponents has accused me of running on my father's coattails. Well, to show that I'm running on my own merits, I've decided to go ahead and change my last name. Now, I don't know what I'm going to change it to yet, but it's either going to be Reagan or Eisenhower. <laughs> and people love the fact that here he was a rich, you know, fa famous guy, but he was is willing to poke fun of himself and yeah. say, I know, I know you think that I'm running on my coattails and maybe a little bit I am, but, you know, I'm a good guy too. And he ultimately got elected governor. And his first year in the mansion, I decided I was going to run for the U.S. Congress, and I was a huge underdog. And um, when I ran, I, my two opponents were very well-respected, qualified, experienced politicians who had eight, eight years of experience each, and I had zero, and I was so criticized. And I'm in a debate, and one of them says, you're an amateur compared to us, and you can hear a pen drop. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to address this with humor because I am an amateur compared mm -hmm. to them. And I said, mm -hmm. you know what, guys, you're right. I am an amateur compared to you, but it was amateurs who built Noah's Ark and professionals who built the Titanic. What yeah. boat would you guys like to be yeah. on? Yeah. And everybody laughed and the issue was done with, and I didn't right. have to deal with that anymore, but I used humor just to relax people and deflect criticism and connect with others. And I think it's a secret weapon that people don't, use and yeah. they don't use it because we've been so pre-programmed to be to have the perfect image to the outside world fake it till you make it never let them see you sweat put your best foot mm -hmm. forward and the truth i think is exactly the opposite that yes. you connect with people by being vulnerable and authentic yeah. and real and i'd love your take because i from me watching great stand-up comedians all of them are vulnerable and authentic and real, and they instantly connect with the audience because they they see that you have it. And and so much of humor deals with truth, right? I don't know what your what your take is from the lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think and I think there's not enough around, and especially in in politics. I I mean, people take it so seriously, whether it's like politicians or when it comes to political decisions. And I think like there, there could be a humor and they could be, uh, again, laughing at oneself and making fun of oneself and not taking 
yourself too seriously. I think that's the issue there. Taking your work seriously, of course, that's important, but then not yourself. And I think I think Clint Eastwood said that, which I really liked. It's like, yeah, when he's working, he's taken seriously, but he doesn't take himself seriously. And I think that that really helps. I thousand percent agree, and no party has a monopoly on it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think a good example when Abe Lincoln was running for office, and most people consider him our our best president in, in history on, on Mount Rushmore and everything. But when he's running for office, someone um, called him two faced, his opponent in a debate, and he said it two faced. He said, "If I had two faces, you think I'd be wearing this one?" And everybody <laughs> laughed and relaxed. And uh, many years later. Uh, we have Obama as president and the first African-American president, and he's speaking to the uh, Washington Correspondents' Dinner, and he was accused of being born outside the U.S., and there were all these people, the birther movement, and so he just addressed it. He said, you know, I've been given a lot of thought to my Obama library, and some people think I should put it in my, uh, my birthplace, but I'd rather keep it here in the United States, and everybody erupted. And you, you knew then that it's going to be okay. You know, it, yeah. it takes a certain amount of self-confidence to poke yeah. fun of yourself. And Huge so amount, I think. Huge yeah. amount. Yeah. So, so you had, and exactly what you said about not taking yourself, but do take your job. So Lincoln freed the slaves. I mean, he obviously took his job seriously, but he didn't take himself seriously. Um, Barack Obama made it one of the great decisions of, of all time to do the SEAL Team 6 um, mission that got Osama bin Laden. It took a lot of courage and changed the world. So he did that decision one day after the Washington Correspondents Dinner. So it's a perfect example of, of not taking yourself seriously, but taking your job seriously. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think that's it. When you are like not putting yourself also like uh, a, you're not the main person, you're there to ser serve others. And um, I, I think like we see a lot of uh, politicians who, who tend to be narcissists and who who seem to just it's all about them and not about the people and not about the nation. I think that is is, is also important. So uh, I, I find I it very unfortunate to, to see that uh, yeah. in many cases. I, in fact, I would, that's very, if I, if I had to summarize what you just said, I, thinking of, as you're talking, I would say self-deprecating humor is not thinking less of, of um, yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's yes. not all yes. about I you. like that. It's not. I really like you. that. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's when, when, when we relax, then we don't take ourselves seriously. We just enjoy the moment and we have a good laugh. And I think yeah. that when not always being stressed, not always being on alert, but just let yourself go. And one thing I see, I think I like thinking outside of the box and we are, we are usually restricting ourselves to one way of thinking or again, one party or one political idea. And I think like, you know, just open up the box and just think freely and change your mind. It's okay. It's human. It's like, you know what, all this time for the longest time I was against technology and now I love it. And I don't see a problem with that. It just, I changed my mind. And that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I changed my mind when it switched from uh, going from medicine into exactly. into the field, law and politics. And it, and it, sometimes it takes a little bit of courage. I think that often what holds people back uh, from changing their mind or doing a different course or, or, or going after something big is fear. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, will people laugh at me or will I be rejected or will I fail? And I think fear holds so many people back. And that's, that's the thing to overcome. 
And I tell folks, I know that it's scary. You know, I've, I've been humiliated. I've been beaten. I've been shot at. And that's just from my wife after the last boys weekend away. You know, I, I know that it's scary as hell out there, but you have to take chances. And what I advocate in my book is baby step educated risk, not crazy over the top, evil can evil jump the snake river Canyon, but, but baby step educated risks that are aligned with your purpose. So just to give you one example, when I was going off to college, I had this big goal of graduating number one in my class, but I was a mediocre student. So I read that goal card every single morning and every night, the, the summer before I went away to college. And when I went and signed up for my first semester of, of classes, you know what I signed up for? Um, PE classes, uh, softball and badminton and sociology and public speaking, you could almost be in a coma and get A's in those classes, you know, but it was a baby step. It wasn't organic chemistry and physics and calculus. It was just a baby step. And, and that happened. And the next semester was pretty darn easy too, just a little bit harder. And slowly I built up and four years later, I'm standing on stage as the valedictorian, but it certainly wouldn't have happened if I went in there with my hair on fire, taking all these super hard classes and, and trying to be this, this stud student that I was, wasn't, I, I just took baby steps. And that's what I encourage people to do. Yeah, it gets frustrating if you try to go too fast and you, you fail and then you just stop. But I, I really like that, that, that those yeah. educated risks. And to get to the big dreams, we have to start small and take it from there. But have that insight, as you're saying. And uh, it's it's such an honor to have a congressman here on Arash's World. Uh, that's the first, actually, so I'm very happy about that. And I want to ask you, too, is there any chance that you might want to take that step further uh, with presidential elections coming up soon? Just curious. <laughs> right now, I, you know, I, when I ran for for Congress and that that dream was inside me. I had this vision of something I wanted to do. And that was I was a really poor kid and I went to college because of Pell Grants, which is federal aid and this kind uh, 81 year old boss of my mom that made it happen. And my my vision I thought about every day was increasing college aid to help poor people go to college. And I and I did that and five and a half million extra people went. But I felt a calling, you know, and and right now this moment in life what I feel candidly is I don't have the desire to get trophies for myself anymore. What my desire is to help other people get trophies. That That's why I wrote this book. And I feel like at this moment in time, that's my mission. Where two years from now, I, I would have this intuitive feeling and another calling to do something else, I would do it. Okay, uh, but, cool. but right now, I feel like I'm just where I need to be. And, and if I can help lift people up right now, that's that's what I want to do. Yeah, so the, thanks. Uh, the the book Chase the Bears: Little Things to Achieve Big Dreams. It's uh, it's wonderful talking to you, Rick. It's it's such a pleasure. I love your ideas. I highly recommend your book and the ideas that come with it. And thank you so much for being on Arash's World. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure, Arash. Thank you.